invite you to turn with me to the last chapter of Jonah. You'll see that somewhere in between all the minor prophets, uh, closer to the end of the Old Testament. This little book of Jonah, four chapters. And recall how we concluded with Jonah chapter 3. And in Jonah chapter 3, what happens? Nineveh repents. And it looks like God changes his mind, right, because of their repentance. That's from our perspective. But God in his sovereign plan, God always had in mind that he would change his mind. That's part of that relationship he has with us, right? It's a relationship whereby through repentance of faith, he receives us again and again. But all that is always included in his sovereign plan, even the change that takes place in our hearts. So and then we come to Jonah chapter 4. And our focus will be uh, Jonah 4 verse 10. Should I have not pity on Nineveh? We begin at 4 verse 1. Jonah chapter 4 verse 1. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he became angry. He prayed to the Lord and said, Ah, oh Lord, was not this what I said when I was still in my country? That's why I fled previously to Tarshish. For I know that you are a gracious and merciful God, slow to anger, abundant in loving kindness, one who relents from doing harm. Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me. It's better for me to die than to live. Then the Lord said, Is it right for you to be angry? So Jonah went out of the city and sat on the east side of the city. There he made himself a shelter and sat under it in the shade till he might see what would become of the city. And the Lord prepared a plant and made it come up over Jonah, that it might be shade for his head to deliver him from his misery. So Jonah was very thankful for the plant. As morning dawned and the next day, God prepared a worm. It so damaged the plant that it withered. And it happened when the sun rose, when God, that God prepared a vehement east wind, and the sun beat on Jonah's head, so that he grew faint. Then he wished death for himself and said, it's better for me to die than to live. Then God said to Jonah, is it right for you to be angry about this plant? He said, it is right for me to be angry, even to death. But the Lord said, you have had pity on the plant for which you have not labored, nor made it grow, which came up in the night and perished in the night. Should I not pity Nineveh, that great city in which are more than 120,000 persons who cannot discern between their right hand and their left and much livestock? That's where it ends, a question. And that's our focus as well. Should I not pity Nineveh? That's uh, the question that we want to focus on today. I think we all know what a gut-wrenching feeling is like, especially when we hear or see a tragic expression or ex 
tragic experiences of other people. What is compassion, right? Compassion is pity, um, but it's a pity which is undeserved, right? We don't deserve that pity. And at the same time, it's a gut feeling, right? It's a gut feeling for the needs of others. I think, boys and girls, you might remember the story or the parable of the Good Samaritan. Remember how a robber came and beat upon a Jew? And after beating upon the Jew, what, uh, what happened to that Jew? Right? He was stripped of his clothing and he was left for half dead. Well, one of his own kind came by, a Levite, and then a uh, priest. They didn't bother. They didn't bother with him at all. There's no sense of compassion. But then a Samaritan, who were typically enemies of the Jews in those days, right? A Samaritan came by. What did he do? The first words there is he had great pity on that man. And he showed his pity. How? By bandaging him up. And then he put him on his donkey. The man himself, the Samaritan himself, was walking beside the donkey, and he put the man on the donkey itself. And then he even paid for him to be in the inn for two days. That's compassion. He had a gut feeling, even though it was one of his enemies, a deep gut feeling for uh, a, a compassion for that person who was injured. Now, in the book of, jo in the book of Jonah, God's also moved to pity. Move with pity for what? The city of Nineveh. You know those terrorists? <laughs> they did not have a good name in that day. But God was moved with pity for them. And that's why God originally said, Jonah, you go, you rise up, you go to Nineveh, and I want you to warn them. I want you to warn them that the judgment is coming unless they repent. And so you see God's inner just spills out for them because he, the, the, the smell of evil was just coming full in his face and he could no longer bear it. It was becoming so full. And that's why he sends Jonah out there. And now, what do we see? They respond to Jonah's preaching. And God, what does he do? He responds to their deep repentance. Right? And change in their lives from their evil, and God spares them. What happens to Jonah? How does Jonah respond? He does not allow his heart to be soft towards those terrorists. He will not allow his heart to be broken for those people who have done so many bad and evil things against even Israel. So Jonah is really, really angry with God. He is angry. You know what a pout is? Pouting prophet? You know what a pout is? Is when you have your stiff lower lip. So it's not just kids, but Jonah the prophet was a big man, and he was acting like that too. And he had a sullen face. He was angry. Why? Because God was so good to what he saw in terms of their change and the change of those terrorists, those Ninevites, that he relented, he spared them. And we see three things here. First of all, 
Jonah is, does not have the heart of God. Okay, he does not have the heart of God. Or we could say he has no pity for, for Nineveh. What does he have a heart for? Oh, his own personal comforts. He had a heart for that plant that God gave him, that God gave to him in the first place. Right? He had a heart for that plant. So, and finally, you know, the question comes before him and to also to us. Should I not pity your enemies? Should I not? So first of all, Jonah does not share the heart of God. He shows not an ounce of pity, of compassion for those terrible people who, by the way, had repented. By the way, God accepts. Or, um, acceptance always comes with repentance. We just don't accept everything. But acceptance, God's acceptance of us comes with repentance. That's why God receives and is moved over them. But literally, verse 1 says, but it was very evil. It says you're displeased, but the actual word is ra, Hebrew. It, it literally means it was evil. It was a very evil thing to Jonah. What was a very evil thing to Jonah? Well, that they turned from their evil way and that above all that God showed compassion upon them. That was the evil thing to Jonah. Here, God stands ready, you know, like the, the father and the prodigal son, right? He stands ready with arms open wide. The cross proves it. Ready to forgive and receive the most wicked of the earth. But of course, through repentance, right? He, he, he demands repentance and faith. But that was a great evil to Jonah. People of Syria, vicious, mean. Their terror was felt in other nations, beginning to be felt in Israel. How can God be so good to them? How can he be so willing to forgive all those bad things that they did? It's like they're the big abuser. Right? Verse 1 says, not did only Jonah see this as an evil. Right? He considered this thing from God as a big evil. But he was very angry. The sense is he was, he was boiling hot with anger, like burning from the inside, like a volcano, eruption of anger. Wasn't a righteous anger, not by any stretch of imagination. It was a sinful anger. He preached. Yeah, Jonah preached, but not because he loved them. No, he wanted to see their damnation. He wanted to see their doom. He wanted to see an input to them. No, he didn't preach out of a compassion from the heart of God for them. He was hoping to see their destruction. He didn't want repentance. He wanted condemnation. You know what, the church always has to be a guard against that, especially in our day, that we wish destruction, right? We should pray for repentance, knowing that God will bring destruction. We need to have the heart of God. Image people, they're, they're made in God's image. Noah, Jonah would have nothing of it. Well, yeah, Jonah's, the, the word that God had Jonah preached, it had its powerful effect. But in spite of Jonah, God used it anyway. And that makes Jonah so angry. He didn't get his way. And there's his lip, right? Kids ever do that? Your lip? Pout? I don't like this. 
That was Jonah towards God. I don't like this. I don't like you, God, for doing this. You know I don't like those people. Why are you so good to them? Verse 2, very self-centered man, very self-centered prayer. He just prays about what he wants. He prays to the Lord, but it's a very selfish prayer. Oh, Lord, was it not this? In other words, it's my word, not your word. Was it not my word when I was still in my country? I fled previously to Tarshish. I know that you are, first of all, a gracious and merciful God. I know that's the kind of God you are. You're slow to anger. And three, you're abundant in loving kindness. One who keeps away from doing harm. I know that you're that kind of God. That's why I didn't want to go and bring the word because I thought maybe you'll work through the word and you'll change the people we don't like. You know, as a child, he probably memorized Genesis 30, sorry, Exodus 34, verse 6. That's where this verse comes from, verse 2. Jonah probably memorized it in Sunday school. Exodus 34, verse 6, the very words that God revealed to Moses on the Mount Sinai, right? This is who I am. And, and that's why Israel could come to God through blood, because God was merciful to receive her. He knew this to be true of God. If he was like this towards Israel, he could be like this to anyone else. If it's true that he was this way towards his people, it could be for anybody else in the world. That's why he ran away from God's call to him in the first place. <laughs> and Jonah, Jonah, don't you see how God was even showing compassion on you when you were running away? You were thrown into the sea. A great fish swallowed you. You were in the belly of the whale. God spared you by having the whale or by the great fish spitting you out of his mouth again. That's pity. Jonah, I have pity on you. Can't I show it on others? No, Jonah doesn't want it for them. They just deserve to die and rot. You sometimes hear that, that expression from the world. You know, put them in prison, throw the key away, just let them rot. That was kind of Jonah's attitude. In fact, he's saying, how dare you, Lord, that you share our salvation, my salvation, that you share our blessings with them. You notice here, who's responding to the Lord's compassion? Who's responding to the Lord's word in a better way than the other? It's Nineveh. It's those people from the city that didn't know God. They're responding better than the people of Israel. They were not repenting of their sin. God's people had not been repenting for 150 years. 150 years. They started deserting God. They started going to other, other loves in their life, other comforts. That's going to be show. We're going to see that very clearly a little later. Oh, Jonah loved the comfort of that little plant. Actually, it grew quite big. Oh, it's my plant. Lord, don't disturb me. That was sort of the thing that was going on. Jonah's kind of like, you know, that older son in the parable of the prodigal son. He was angry. He was jealous. That, and he would not participate in the joy of his brother's repentance. Remember how his brother, younger brother, squandered everything? He deserved what he got. What he just, I mean, he didn't. He didn't deserve what he didn't. I mean, he deserved what he didn't get, right? No, I'm saying this wrong. 
He deserved the opposite of what he got, right? And yet, Father throws a party for him, a feast, kill the fatted calf, and he says, come, my lost son who has been found, come enjoy the feast with me. But his brother, older brother, no, I don't like this, God. I don't like this, Father. I, I, I really am not going to participate. And that's why in verse 3, Jonah says, Lord, take my life from me. Take it away. It's better for me to die than to live. By the way, Jonah's not going to kill himself because suicide is wrong. But he, wants, he asked God to do the dirty work. God, you kill me. <laughs> then it's, it's, on your, it's on your hands. You kill me. He'd rather die than see the blessings of the covenant go to somebody else. Oh, what a pouting prophet. Do you see him pushing out his lower lip? That's Jonah, a big man, prophet. Jonah, the Lord says in verse 4, is it right? Hey, boys and girls, is it right for you to be angry? That's what he's asking Jonah here. Is it right for you to be angry? Why does the Lord ask that? What's the Lord doing here? By that question, and sometimes parents can ask of their children, it's the Lord through parents probing your heart. Your heart isn't right. Your heart is full of anger. It's like the father, right? In the parable of the prodigal son, he pleads with the elder son in the parable, like here too. This question is designed to lead Jonah to repentance, to repentance and to be reconciled to the Lord. Jonah, it's time to remove that anger. You get rid of it right now. You're not living in a right relationship with the Lord. You're not living by faith. Root it out. Is it right for you to be angry? How does Jonah respond? Okay, Lord. Oh, no. Nope. No response. Verse 4, after verse 4, what do you see in verse 5? And Jonah repented. Nope. He's stubborn. It just really reflects human nature, right? Stubborn. Nope. No response. He just walks away. He'll have nothing to do with that question. Oh, you might say, I wouldn't have this attitude. Oh, no. It's in the Bible for a reason. It really reflects what often lives in our hearts. Why not always show on the outside? You know, every time we're jealous, for example, of the blessings of others, maybe the blessings that friends have or the blessings that other family members have. Isn't it true sometimes in our hearts we show a little resentment, a little jealousy at the goodness of God? It's not just jealous about them. We're putting our finger like Adam did to God. You know, well, the woman you gave me. Well, Lord, I wouldn't be like this if you would also give me the same things, right? So very easy. Jonah shows pity, yeah. But you know what he shows pity for? For his own little comforts in life that he loses. That's... That's what he shows pity for. His own little comforts that he doesn't have. In this case, it was a plant. 
right? A plant that he really, really loved. Verse 5, he ignores God's word. He's not going to have any of it. And we read that he goes out of the city of Nineveh to the east side of the city, probably on a hill, probably a high hill, and he makes himself a makeshift shelter. Probably wasn't very good because the Lord had to grow a plant in order to keep shade. So it was probably quickly made, probably made out of anger, right? Quickly put some wood together, probably a lot of gaping holes in there. But anyway, it was intended to cover him with shade, and he sits under it. Why is he sitting there? Well, he wants his word to win. He's waiting for something. He's waiting for God to destroy Nineveh with fire. He did that with Sodom and Gomorrah, right? Jonah would have known the story of Sodom and Gomorrah. But his response is different than Abraham. Abraham pleaded, Lord. Abraham had the heart of God. Lord, won't you spare this city if... If, if. But Jonah, he's going like this. It's like eating steak. It's like eating dull. Boy, I'm just, just waiting for that fire to come down from heaven and just destroy those mean people. Just get rid of them. Because after all, maybe a few days of the 40 days are over. He didn't preach long and there was immediate repentance. So maybe he's waiting 35 days, a whole month, just sitting on a hill. God knows that. God knows that Jonah has placed himself outside of the realm of God's blessing. By rejecting what God is doing among them, Jonah now isolates himself from the blessing of God. Nineveh is kind of like the new Jerusalem. And yet Jonah excludes himself. He's excluded because of his self-righteousness and his pride. Notice, he's not like the repentant king of Nineveh. Remember the repentant king of Nineveh? He gets off his throne and he sits where? He sits in his ashes, in the mud, right? In the dirt, repenting. Jonah, well, he sits and he sits on a hill as if he's on the throne and he is proud, he's unrepentant, he has a hard heart. Hey, that doesn't sound right. Jonah is one of the people of God. Nineveh wasn't. See how opposite it is? Again, like the older brother in the peril of the prodigal son, just like him. He, you know, any time we walk outside of the will of God, it doesn't take long and we realize we're just not happy people. Jonah was walking outside of the will of God and he was not a happy person. But the Lord hasn't left Jonah. He wants to teach Jonah a lesson on pity. Jonah needs to learn. He needs to open up his heart. He needs to share in the heart of God for other people. And so Jonah, you know, he wakes up in the next morning and immediately his eyes are cast over the city. He's hoping to see smoke rising up from the city, but it's still the same as yesterday. But as he's doing that, all of a sudden he sees by his great surprise, there's this plant. It grew up overnight. Just overnight, all of a sudden, one night. Of course, God is able to do that. He created all things. And this large plant with long branches, big leaves, 
and it afforded great shade for Jonah. God is protecting Jonah in all of this. He's giving him shade, even as he's pouting and as he's angry. This plant grew in one night. Notice what verse 6 says. The Lord God, what did he do? He had prepared a plant. It didn't just come by accident. He prepared it in the sense that he appointed it. It had come with a special purpose. Appointed it just for Jonah. Kind of an umbrella for him. Right? Kind of reminds me of the same word that was at the end of chapter 1. Right? Jonah was thrown into the sea. What did God prepare? He prepared and appointed a great fish to swallow him. Right? It's the same word over here. So he does with the plant. Jonah is really, really happy. Boy, circumstances couldn't have been better for his life. If he's happy, that means God must be doing what he wants to do, what, what he himself wants to do. He sits, he sits peacefully under the better shade from the hot burning sun. God is so good. Even though he intends to show pity to the Ninevites, God has plenty of room in his heart for Jonah as well. Again, God is like the father in the story of the prodigal son. He drapes, you could say he drapes his arms of compassion over the older son who's not repenting, pleading with him, repent, come, feast with us, feast with the Ninevites. They're having a feast now. You're sitting outside and moping and pouting? Following morning, what happens? Plant is dead. One night, the plant is dead. The leaves are off. Why? There's that same word again, prepared. God appointed, he prepared what? A worm to chew at the roots of the plant. And immediately it died. And then it says, when the sun arose, God prepared. There it is, the fourth time. He prepared a vehement east wind. So a really one of those really hot, burning east winds. And the sun beat on Jonah's head, verse 8, as he grew faint. Then he wished death for himself. It's better for me to die than to live. Four times God prepared something for Jonah. First a great fish, then a plant, then a worm, then a hot east wind. He did this for Jonah's good. All of this. And he doesn't see it. He doesn't realize it. He is not seeing by faith. He's not seeing how the hand of God is at work in his life. You know, how many times have maybe you found out later that God had a good purpose for you that you didn't realize at the time that he always had a good purpose for you, but you didn't see it. And then years later, you see it. Despite all that the Lord had done for him, Jonah says, I just want to die. Again, God says, Jonah, is it right for you to be angry? This time he says, about a plant? About your own little tiny personal comforts in life? It's a call to repentance. But this time Jonah blows up in anger. It is right for me to be angry, he says, even unto death. He's serious about it. He's not joking. He sees it as his right 
to die. His first anger is because Nineveh is not destroyed, and now he's angrier still because his personal comfort is taken away from him. A plant. See, when your heart is not right with the Lord, you know what happens? And our relationship with the Lord is not right. Small things in life really become huge mountains, right? They become really, really big. You know, when God's kingdom and his righteousness, when that is not in our purview, when that's not first in our life, then the smallest things that affect you will seem like big things that happen to you. They become a way bigger deal than what they really are. For Jonah, it was all about, Lord, you're affecting me in a bad way. He's not thinking. He, you know, when man is big, what happens to God? He becomes very small, right? When we become big and bloated with ourselves, God becomes very small. Jonah didn't see it. What mattered to Jonah was his own comforts in life. I want this. I want that. I want you to bless me only, Lord. He didn't have God's larger purposes in mind. God's blessing to him is what really mattered, not other people. The comfort of a plant means more to Jonah than the salvation of the people of Nineveh. In Jonah's life, the attitude, again, is like the man in Jesus' parable who was really happy that he was, given a, he was forgiven a huge debt, but he had no pity on the one who owed him a very tiny debt because that's what affected him. Oh, you show mercy to me, but I'm not going to show mercy to you because that affects me in a bad way. Jonah has, above all, Jonah has no room. He doesn't have the heart of God, right? Like the church in that day, you didn't have the heart of God. For the people, even to forgive the people of Nineveh, as the Lord does. There's no feasting. There's no joy. There's no, hey, let's kill the fatted calf. Let's eat together and rejoice over the fact that God has brought in a lost city. This is why Jonah's life is so miserable, because if we're not happy in God, life becomes a bummer. It's miserable. That's why his stiff lower lip is pushed out. This explains his sullen countenance. Jonah's life, the life of God's people in Israel that day was not a life of repentance. That's what was missing. That's why there was no joy. That's why there was no feasting true feasting. And finally, the Lord, after two questions, Jonah will not listen. Jonah, sorry, the Lord now exposes Jonah's heart with a final probing question. Jonah, shouldn't I pity those enemies of yours? Shouldn't I? The people that you don't like? Look at verses 10 and 11. The Lord said, Jonah, you pity on that plant. You, you didn't work for it. You didn't make it grow. It came up in one night and perished in a night. Should I not pity Nineveh, that great city, more than 120,000 persons who cannot 
discern between their right hand and their left. This refers to people who are so confused that you don't know what's right, what's wrong, what's, what's, what's life, what's death, and much livestock as well. This is the question he must answer. And that's the question we all need to answer. Should I not pity Nineveh? How would we answer God? Yes or no? How should Jonah pity God? With a yes or no? In a way, it may not all be Jonah, but it's so easy for the Jonah to be inside of us. And therefore, God also speaks to the Jonah inside of us. Jonah, you're upset. Why are you upset? Why are you angry about a comfort that I took away from you? Your life is, I mean, life is way bigger than you. My kingdom is way bigger than your little personal world and your little personal home. I know those comforts mean a lot to you, your own personal comforts in life. Jonah, you're so upset. You're so angry about a plant that grew up in the night and perished in the night. But aren't people, aren't people more important than your comforts? Aren't relationships more important than your comforts? Are you, aren't you concerned about those whom I made in my image? People I made to worship me but are not? I put eternity in their hearts. It's heaven or hell. Don't you think about that, Jonah? Don't you think of that when you see the crowds? Don't you think about where they're going? What's happening? Oh, Jonah, your comforts, your pleasures mean a lot to you. But you don't care whether those people go for an eternity to hell. You're sitting here, you're waiting, and you're wishing for them to burn. For your, you're wishing for them to be destroyed. And you think that you have the right to die because I remove a little personal comfort from you? Should I not pity Nineveh? How does Jonah answer? No, doesn't answer. We don't know. It's never recorded for us. We don't know what Jonah's answer is. It's kind of like playing the second last note on the piano, right? You're playing a song. And before you get to the last note, you stop. It just sort of seems so unresolved. Lord, you didn't finish the story here. That's because he wants us to finish the story. He wants us to answer. He wants the church to answer. Do you share in my heart? Or are you like Jonah? Which is it? Which is it? That's the probing question. Whose heart will we share? Jonah's heart? Small and stingy? Or God's heart? A heart of compassion. It means at least three things. Having the heart of God's compassion means at least three things. Remember this, in showing compassion, we must not compromise the truth about the reality of sin, judgment, and the need for repentance and faith in Jesus Christ. Again, we don't accept people just because they live certain lifestyles. No. Uh, acceptance presupposes repentance, right? God accepts on the basis of repentance and faith in him. 
acceptance comes with repentance. He's the one who defines the relationship. So yeah, that's why sometimes compassion can sometimes seem a little bit offensive. But if we have the heart of God, that means we have a real heart for the people. They come to know the truth as it is in Jesus. Second thing here in showing compassion, we should never stop to count the cost. We should never question if the one in need is deserving. Oh, he doesn't deserve it. She doesn't deserve it. Wait a minute. Do I deserve it? What is compassion? Compassion is pity, which we don't deserve. We don't deserve it. We deserve the opposite. How can we therefore have that same attitude towards others? He doesn't deserve it. She doesn't deserve it. Jonah, no, you have no right to be angry like that. And third, in showing compassion, we pray. And the goal is that even our own personal enemies may be brought to repentance and may even worship God with us. That's God's goal. That they may come to know that true and living God and worship with us. Jonah, you should be in Nineveh worshiping God with those cruel torturers of the world. Look what happened. They changed. You see the ground for the Lord's pity to Nineveh. What was it? It was his promise that he made to Abraham. What did he say to Abraham? In you. God didn't have any special he didn't see anything special in his people that he should choose them. He chose them by his grace. And he says to Abraham, in you, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed. And who is the you? Who is the in you? Ultimately, it's through his son, Jesus Christ. There you see the ground of the Lord's pity, even to Nineveh, even way before Christ came. You see it in the cross, God's compassion in his fullness, is seen on the cross. You see how much I love you? And it's to the world. Offering, God offers the free gift of salvation through his only begotten son, promising life, promising a feast. To whom? To all who repent and believe. And warning, as he did to Nineveh, of eternal death, to all who do not. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Whose heart do we share in? God's or Jonah's?